Memphis, 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 Hi, this is Tom Izzo at Michigan State, and you're listening to Grizz 901. What up, Grizz Nation, and welcome back to another episode of Grizz 901. I'm your host, Daniel Greer. Today's episode, it's all about breaking what was of Game 4 down, previewing Game 5, and with us today is the actual co-host. We're not going to make it special because it's not special, but Ryan's here. What's up, man? (laughs) I, uh, it's been a long time since I've talked to you. I did the preview and then went to game two and, uh, it's been, I, I haven't talked to you since, at least on here anyways, about any of it. So a lot of thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing about today is uh, you've heard my spill on it, people. Okay. You know what I'm going to talk about and you know, that it's going to be based around John Morant. Uh, and let me go off on a soapbox rant real quick. And I heard from an actual act, my neighbor this last time, and he actually liked my rant, which I didn't <laughs> think anybody would. Um, but my jaw stuff real quick. A lot of people are giving jaw the pass on being injured. Okay. I don't know if he's injured. I can't tell if he's injured. He doesn't look injured to me personally. So I can't really tell what that might be and what that injury might actually be. In all honesty, I think it's all about being a head case. I think it's all in his head. He cannot figure out how to get kind of like breaking out. Like I feel like he's still in shackles to a point. And, and, you know, credit goes out to the Timberwolves and the coaching staff and the players that have him in those shackles, whether it's a mind thing or whether it's actually that's how he's playing because that really is, that's how he's playing. So, I think it's really a mind over matter deal, and I think that Ja has to get out of his own way to be the best version of himself. I know people will say it's about the refs as well, but let's take all that out. I really do think it's a head case. He cannot figure out whatever that that, that problem is. It's like when you're in school, and you cannot figure out that one problem. It just bugs you to death, and you can never just get out of your own way because it's it's just so simple. Well... He's got to figure it out, and I think he will at some point, and I think it's going to have to come down with Taylor Jenkins and the coaching staff to really help him, but I don't think it's all about injury. So what say you, Ryan? Do you think it's injury-related, or do you think it's a head case? I think it's a mix of a lot of things. I think coaching and putting him in space to actually attack could be better. Uh, The Timberwolves have done a really good job at loading up to what his driving lanes typically are, but our coaching staff has not made little adjustments to give him that space. We still have a guy at the top of the key that puts three people right in his driving lanes. Well, four people really with the guy in the strong side corner. So um, it's a little bit of a strategic positioning thing for me. I also think it's a little bit of in your head because he said famously, we don't duck the smoke. He's ducked a lot of smoke this series. He has not really challenged anybody. And that's be, I think he would even say that if we were to ask him personally. Um, so PS, Jock, come on the pod. Uh, we'll talk. You want to, you want to call him? No, 
We can. <laughs> you got to sell? Uh, no, can't, but like... You can't say yes or no to that. The only one who hasn't ducked the smoke this series is Desmond Bain. And look at the series that he's having. And he's the one who's been primarily guarded by Patrick Beverly. So I said this before with the game previews is that he said he doesn't duck it. I wanted to see him actually go for it. And he hasn't. Now, this is where the injury thing kind of ties in because I, I'm not 100% sure about that one as well because he took that knee, for, that shot from Cat right into the thigh. He had it earlier in the year, and he played through, right? Like, I think there was mm-hmm. one game that me and you were have some sort of prop on where he left, and I was like, well, if it's dead, and then he came back, you know, half a quarter later. I was like, wait, how is he back? But he coasted through the rest of that game. So he's been coasting this entire series ever since that happened. So I don't know the severity of it. He did make a comment after how him and Ant met, Anthony Edwards, uh, Ant met, you know, after the game. And Ja was telling him, you know, hope you get healthy soon. I think they've both discussed their kind of nagging injuries that they Mm. have right now. Because in the fourth quarter, when the Grizzlies are like, okay, we're tread water, we're treaded water, we've treaded water, Desmond Bain has carried for me, Tyus has carried for me, Brandon Clark has had his incredible series, uh, uh, series, which shout out to Chris, another guy from the Grizzlies, he called that, I didn't think he was going to be that important, but he has, where in the world are we right now without Brandon Clark in this series? And he turned it on in the fourth. Like, he was dynamic, he was trying to attack, he was forcing, but the problem is when you're not in a rhythm for a whole game, when you're coasting, he missed those layups. That three he shot in the corner, mm-hmm. huge three, missed it. That pull up towards at the end of the game where he did the right kick to tie us. Like he probably should have just shot that pull up in transition three for the tie game, but he found a better shooter. Uh, so I think it's a lot of things. Now it's a three game series now. 2-2, and let's be honest, the Grizz are very fortunate that's 2-2. Yeah. If we want to be honest with ourselves, and I think everyone with the Grizzlies for the most part are honest about themselves, we should be down 3-1. Hmm. Like, we, this this should be about over, right? Like, usually yeah. in this kind of frame, we win at home, it's 3-2, and then the Wolves close it out their place at 6. But they're fortunate to be here. Um, and that's largely from the play from our starters because our starters have been the biggest detriment to us this playoff series besides Desmond Bain. It has been Desmond Bain and our top two guys off the bench. And that is why the depth of the Grizzlies, this is why they're the two seed. And that depth is showing. And if it wasn't for that depth, we would have we would already be home. So, yeah. Um, I think he's going to bring it these last three games. I would expect his minutes to go up, and I expect him to be more aggressive from the jump. If he's not, and he's continuing to take it from Patrick Beverly, then I don't like us the rest of the way in this series. But I believe in him. I think he knows what's at stake right now. I think with that extra day rest with the travel again back home, um, he's going to be good to go, and he's going to have one of a very big statement game game five well somebody who had two big statement games going what was it 15 of 27 from three the last two games as you talked about just uh briefly 
it was Desmond Bain. And Desmond Bain has been just, he's been amazing. He's been lights out. He's been dependable. He's been everything you would want in a number two. And I don't even know if he's the Grizzlies number two, but he's playing like the Grizzlies number two right now. So uh, shout out to that guy because he is playing his tail off. But but going back to game four real quick, 119 to 118, the Timberwolves beat the Grizzlies. It should have been a four-point game. Uh, the Desmond Bain hits one from, uh, what, 40 feet out maybe? And just uh, he drops it in. They're down now one. So uh, what a game by him. But realistically, just looking at these stats, I, I don't know what to make of it other than the player fouls. Um, John Morant had four, and he had the least amount on the starters where they had one guy foul out, and that's Jaron. That's an understood. But then the other three guys, Bain, Brooks, and Tillman, all had five fouls as well. That's going to be the story within this game, and we can get into a little bit about what Taylor Jenkins said. Um, What do you think his reasoning, I guess, of what his message was? Because to me personally, I think he was going with it to the fact of it's been really bad. And yes, it does probably piss him off. And it, he actually is probably right. But I I think what he's looking at is there's three games left. If we have to get a fine, if I have to get a fine because I'm pissed off at the referees because I want this game to open up more, I have to do it now. I can't wait till later in the series when we're down 3-2 and we're going back to Minnesota. I need the referees to open the game up now. And I think that's really what it comes down to is he wants the game opened up. He wants less foul calls, and he wants the game get a better flow to it. And so that's where I was thinking. I just don't know where exactly he was talking about with the other words he was using. Like he was, what were the uh, what were the phrases he was saying where they were trying to go after them and they were kind of like provoking them or whatever it was. Uh, I think a lot of that was weird, but uh, what say you about that? Yeah, I thought the most telling thing from that was he described the refereeing as calling the game arrogantly. Er, yeah, which, that's what it was. Which is not a typical adjective you hear coaches use when they talked about how the how poor the refing was. Right. I mean, maybe someone else has used it before, but that was the first time I've ever heard that in a press conference talking about it. Uh, so just if if Taylor Jenkins is saying that the refs were arrogant in their calls, I think the most glaring one is that charge call on Desmond Bain towards the end of the game, which was a huge swing, which wasn't a charge call at all. He doesn't mm-hmm. push off or extend anything, but it came directly after the challenge on the John. Uh, is it was it Goble? Or is it no? Goble. I can't remember anymore. Yeah, Goble. Goble, and it was 16 seconds after the the review. 16 seconds. Yeah, that that's the most glaring because that's arrogant right there, right? Like that's a ref who knows he was wrong. And he's the one that had to go on the monitor and and proclaim to the crowd that he was wrong, you know? <laughs> and he did not like that. 16 seconds later, like you said, I didn't realize it was 16 seconds later, but I just remember the sequence because it's just very coincidental. Oh, they right. just used their, char- their, their re- one review on this bad charge call. I got him now. And it was to the same exact <laughs> player in Desmond Bain and a huge and one opportunity and was less. And then the next play, the other ref made a makeup call by D'Angelo Russell calling a push off. 
which it's it's yeah. the NBA. Neither should probably be called. Let's be honest. But right. I just I don't think the ref crews liked each other. Like I really think <laughs> it was John Goble versus the other two. And they were kind of like offsetting each other in a weird way. Now, it's not saying the other two refs, which was like Bill Kennedy or something. I can't remember who the other two were. but Bill Kennedy um, and Trey Maddox. It's bad when a ref's name sticks out to you, mm. right? Like, we know <laughs> Scott Foster because he's the Chris Paul killer. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, you should not know John Goebel's name. Like, you just should not know him for what he did. And to make that call back-to-back is horrific. Now, here's the thing. The caveat to this is a lot of those fouls that the Grizzlies were called on, they fouled. And mm. that's the problem. Yep. They have not been in position... They're always chasing. It's like they've never played the Timberwolves before or have a defensive game plan or watched film because they're always chasing, always slapping, always too handsy. And, look, I get it's picky, but they're fouls. And so you cannot be caught with hand-touch, you know, late-grab fouls that they have been called on. Um, so it's not on the refs. It's on the Grizzlies being ready to go because they cruise at times to, and then they try to the late great lunge, you know, to try to save the possession after they've gotten beat and it's just not going to happen. So they deserve the fouls. Um, but I did, I did tweet out about a very interesting thing that our, just our starters, our five starters foul count would have outscored every would have been the second highest scorer on the Timberwolves besides Carl Anthony Towns. And that's like maybe that's a more normal thing than I think it is, but to have 25 combined fouls between five players in 48 minutes and most of our starters had four fouls in the third quarter, that's not normal. Yeah. Okay. So was it fixed? Probably. Um, but it's not completely on the refs. Even if it is fixed, the Grizzlies could still won that game even without it if they're just more disciplined. Yep. And that's the thing yep. about this Grizzlies team is they look very undisciplined through four games. And that's why I think they're very fortunate to be 2-2. Yeah, I agree completely. And if you look at, like, I used this example last, um, I think it was the last episode, uh, if you remember the uh, Gonzaga, and it was the Baylor and Gonzaga National Championship game, and honestly, Baylor was just all up in Gonzaga, and it made Gonzaga look like a bunch of little kids that didn't know how to handle the pressure. That's what this reminds me of. The, the Minnesota Timberwolves are so energetic. They're given so much energy and effort that the refs are allowing them a to be a little more physical because that's how they're playing. And the Grizzlies are doing more reaching because they're not playing with much energy. And so it's the I think that's what all that breaks down to. Yeah. The, the Grizzlies' engagement is not there. The Timberwolves' engagement – like, the Timberwolves aren't a great defensive team. So let's no. not give them, you know, too much. But their engagement is the yeah. difference to where they're not giving those late fouls. Um, I mean, they, of course, they get the Carl Anthony Towns special every once in a while, but it seems like every Grizzlies player is reacting to mm-hmm. what Timberwolves are doing our offense instead of uh, being proactive and beating them to a spot. They're always trying to chase, 
And that's where those fouls yeah. are coming from. Yeah. It, it's weird. And I know that this, uh, these games that are, that have been played so far are just, they're just weird. Like, I, like there's always been an issue in every single game, whether it's been, you know, one team blowing the other team out or coming back from a big, you know, comeback. And then now it's the big, uh, referee game. So, I just I just want there to be a really good basketball game without any issues, and the best team wins. I think that's the Grizzlies, but I just want to see a really good basketball game because it seems like these games that are happening, you know, fifty to sixty foul calls, it's just ridiculous. But uh, let's go ahead and get yes. uh, to the Minnesota Timberwolves a little bit. Um, what do you make of Carl Anthony Towns in that last game? Um, I thought his post game. <laughs> The sideline report, you know, post game was hilarious. <laughs> uh, did you see that? I assume you saw yes. it, right? He tried to use yeah, his like, old man voice, like, "Hey, how's I, Like he's like in a, you know, it's like that girl picture pose, you know, they have for a little while with the hip out, you know. Um, <laughs> and he and, she, and he got asked if. You didn't get a lot of shots in game three to, you know, have that whatever. He said he did that little stupid smile trying to come up with something clever. And he thought he said the most clever thing in the world. He said, just got to go get him. And it's that that's just enough for me. Like, I think he's a clown already. He has been through a lot. Not to minimize to minimize that at all. This isn't personal. This is we're talking about basketball. It's not personal. Basketball wise, I don't know how you root for him. How could you root yeah. for him? Like, how do you like? He is the one of the more cringy players that is in the NBA that thinks he's really good, and that yeah. he's been told he's really good. Um, he's a seven foot shooting guard, and when he doesn't do that, he's just putting his head down and bullying his way to the rim, like yeah. that six foul on Jaron where he. Like Carl Anthony Towns jumped sideways, and no one like he got like Jaron straight up, and he yeah. lands on his hip like he had gotten shot, and it's like, dude, you completely did it to yourself. You're seven right. foot one, two fifty, whatever you are. You should not be going down like that on no contact. But that's just who he is. He's the antics. He's the whining. He's the crying. He's the, I'm clever, I'm thought-provoking, I'm a deep person, um, and I just, no thank you. I'll be happy to not see him again after the next two games. <laughs> yeah, I like how you said the next two games. I like it. Let's get a, let's get a two wins right here. <laughs> um, a little positivity. At, yeah, a little positivity. One of the players who's been absolutely just... Mr. Consistency, and that is going to be Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards, he's now hit in all four games of the series, I believe, four three-pointers. He's shooting at a high percentage. He's very effective. He's shooting roughly over 50% in his field goal. He went at 7 of 14 overall. Um, And so, man, I just, I love this player. And I think he is going to be the future of the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I couldn't say enough good things about him. He plays so well. I would like to see him get maybe more involved in in rebounding at times and maybe uh, facilitating the basketball more. But that's just nitpicking a a very young player. 
But to have another consistent game, even when he goes down with injury, I just think that he is uh, the bee's knees, as the old people say. Yeah, he, he settles a little too much for me. But I know he's got a couple, like he just pulled up randomly holding that knee, which is always always a huge concern whenever that happens in a basketball game. Yeah. Um, I can tell you from experience. Uh, as a much on the on the very bottom scale of that athleticism tier, uh, <laughs> the the basement we'll say. Uh, but he settles to me at least in this series. But his three point shot is on, which is why I'm feeling pretty comfortable going forward. Because as we've seen with the Timberwolves, if the shots are not falling, then they're just bad. They don't have anything yeah. else. And. Ant having a little knee, a lingering knee thing, I don't think he's going to be super aggressive. And I think he's going to settle for jumpers more, which is why I'm like confused why the Grizzlies have not studied film or trying to take advantage of this at all. Because we still close out to Patrick Beverly like he's Clay Thompson. And we like you see Ant, you've seen it for two or three games now after that kind of knee thing. He's not going to the basket unless it's wide mm-hmm. open. So why do we keep completely collapsing on his potential drives? He's going to pull up or do a step back or just pull up three. So this is the little stuff that I'm not really understanding. But Ant is awesome. Get him as far away from Carl Anthony Towns as you can. And if if you're Minnesota, I think there is a clear choice coming up. And yeah. I think Ant is just going to be out because i do have thought about cat long term with them because we were at game two and my observation i told you about carl anthony towns i don't know if you want me to go into it but i just don't think he's very long for that team yeah well yeah uh i I think we can go into that um let's save that for another episode because I, i think we'll have another chance to see them we'll have another chance to share on the uh on the podcast but mainly your thing is about the rest of the team you just don't see it in their eyes that they that they like him much. Uh, but we'll, we'll let you share that a little bit more later. Um, let's go ahead and get into uh, what's upcoming. So the Grizzlies, they lost that game, right? Now we're tied 2-2. Two and two. We're going into game five. It's Tuesday. So you're hearing this on a Monday. We have another day uh, before the game. But it is going to be the TNT game. It's going to, be, it's going to lead off everything on TNT at 6.30. The Grizzlies are six and a half point favorites how in the world do you see this game going and do you have any any insight at all as to maybe how the grizzlies can win this game that's very very it's the biggest game of the series so far game five yeah i think this is another blowout candidate like game two i just i i lean heavily to the minus six and a half i just see this being another 20 to 25 point win and Timberwolves you know well let's get game six and then game six is going to be an absolute drag out and that's going to be the game of the series because we are all you know I was really excited about this series I thought there was going to be back and forth the entire series and it's just been trading blowouts really Um, yeah so I I think game five is going to be a blowout a relative blowout in NBA terms you know um, a blowout in NBA terms is you can really consider 10 points to be quote unquote a blowout in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's a double digit win for sure. And I think game six is going to be a 25 lead changes type game. 
Mm. Wow. That's crazy. I like it. Well, I hope there is a blowout, uh, but I, I, I really want to see the Grizzlies find a way to get early. Like, that's the biggest thing is they need to get ahead early. And I, I'll give a shout-out to my guy, Sean Coleman. Uh, he does the Locked on Grizzlies. Uh, he was looking at the stats, and he shared that um, Minnesota Timberwolves are plus 30. Plus 30 in the first quarter. Plus 30. But then you look at it, the Grizzlies are plus 26 in the second quarter. Like, like if the Grizzlies would just push <laughs> the right pedal, the right one, the right one's the yeah. gas. Push the gas. It's the little one, little slender, skinny guy. Push it <laughs> in the first quarter, and you get a much better chance at victory. Like, it, it just, it's the little things. I feel like they are going, just kind of letting the game come to them. And I know that's their style. I know that. They don't try to just step on your throat in the first, but I really wish they would. I really want those dogs, that dog mentality to come out in these guys from the first quarter, and they would literally coast. They would coast because Minnesota is a bunch of front runners. Their fans, I'm just going to be honest, and if you're a Minnesota Timberwolves fan and you listen to this, first of all, thank you. I don't know why you are, but first of all, thank you. <laughs> Second of come all, back. we appreciate you. They might be one of the dumbest fan bases. They 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 sing some of the dumbest, corniest songs. They literally boo <laughs> after every foul call. I don't I don't understand it. Like I get there are like fouls that you should boo and you should say ref you suck. But when you're doing it like ten times in a game, like come on, and then you have you, and then you cheer for Carl Anthony Towns and Patrick Beverly. Okay, so we know that's who you are. Okay, you're yes. cheering for those guys. You're 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 chanting MVP at Patrick Beverly when he's shooting free throws. Come like the, I just hate <laughs> the fact that the Grizzlies are allowing these clowns to be in a series with them. It sucks. We're here. It is what it is. But I just, um, I just had to, I just had to get that on my chest because I'm so frustrated <laughs> with the, the the fan base that is uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. But uh, the Grizzlies are uh, have to get up early, and that's going to be the key to victory for me. Is if they can get a get a chance to jump on the Minnesota Timberwolves the first quarter, I feel like they will consistently be a strong second quarter team, and then you're going to halftime and you got an eight point lead, and then. The Grizzlies, they're a very good second-half team, and I really think that they could put it away midway through the third quarter, and then you coast through the rest of the way through the rest of the game. And I feel like this would be the key to getting that double-digit win, the 10- to 15-point win. And I think that's, you know, much like you, I do believe the Grizzlies are heading that direction. But it really depends on that first quarter. And it depends on Ja a lot, in my opinion. Yeah, I, yeah, I, could, I agree. I mean, like I said, the starters have been the most underwhelming part of this uh, complete series besides Bane. And that first quarter just tells it's the entire explanation you need to know about this series. Starters have not shown up. Triple J, put him on a milk carton. Missing. <laughs> we already uh, put Jaw Besides there. those. <laughs> <laughs> besides game two, where everything was going their way and he happened to hit a couple threes. He has not played well. He's been awful. 
and like he's just got all of them have to play better dylan horrendous mm. i know everybody's gonna be like point to the fourth quarter where he hit a couple shots you know where they started to make a little run to fourth even though they couldn't complete it with little just not finishing stuff but um horrible he's been really bad and you just can't defend these starters outside of Bain. Bain has com- completely carried this team. I don't know where they'd be right now if it wasn't for Bain. So it's all with the starters. If they're going to show up, compete, not foul. And Jaron just has not been able to do that. So I, if Jaron's going to play like that, we're going to struggle and we might lose this series. If Jaron's going to settle in and finally actually play and not do the antics that Carl Anthony Towns is very well known for, mm-hmm. um, right. if he's going to do that kind of stuff, we're in trouble. Um, but there's yeah. other key guys you can't play anymore in the rotation. Like I get trying to find answers when the starters are struggling, but that's on the starters. Okay, They shouldn't be struggling like this against a seven seed. Uh, but D'Anthony Melton, love him. Can't play him anymore. Stop playing him. Uh, quit doing it. He's giving you nothing. He's like three for 18 in this series. Is he going to be more instrumental in a potential next round matchup with the Warriors? Yes. Like, that's the kind of weird thing about this series is I actually think we'll play better against the Warriors than we will against yeah. a team like this Timberwolves because this is just two AAU teams right now. And it's who's going to out-athleticize each other, basically. And very equivalent teams athletically. They are. Yeah. I would say the Timberwolves overall have more skill on offense, but we have the depth, um, and I think that ultimately is what prevails, and we also have Jaw, who, when he's Jaw, they really don't have an answer for. So, but it's all with the starters. If we're going to win these, win this three-game series right here, it has to start with them. It starts and ends with them. And if they're going to play poorly, we might lose this series. Mm. Wow. All right, so I got a lot of questions here. Let's go into some of the players because uh, I think you've opened the can of worms that I want to talk about. Uh, and I'm just going to be – I'm going to roll out all the names, and we'll go as you go. I'm going to follow your lead on these guys. But – I want to talk a little bit about um, Xavier <laughs> Tillman, okay? I want to talk okay. about his status and what direction uh, we want to go. Uh, Brandon Clark. Uh, I want to talk about Stephen Adams, Tyus Jones, and John Conchar. So it's a lot of people, right? And, I, and I'll help you. Uh, we'll go through these, and we'll go fairly quickly. But I want to know first, who's your starter game five? I've named a lot of people. We know it's not Danthony Melton. He's not starting. So who's your who's your starting your fifth player? No. Um, I think I'm going to continue to start Xavier Tillman. I I, do, I I get probably wanting to start Brandon Clark, but I just think you need a bigger body that's more mobile. And Xavier Tillman kind of flipped. He didn't flip the series per se, but he showed the roadmap of how you can shut down Carl Anthony Towns. And so he didn't have a good start in game four. I get that. That's going to happen. It's on the road. I expect him to play much better at home. I just don't think there's a role for Steven Adams in this series. I know that Jenkins tried to play him for a few minutes because everyone on our entire team had two fouls, even the guys that weren't (laughs) even dressed 
Like Eve's Ponds even probably got in the <laughs> box score last night for two fouls. Um, poor Santee, not even a minute logged, wearing his T-shirt and jeans, got three fouls. Um, but I, there's just not a role for Adams in this series. The off, the rebounding is the only reason that you could say that he should start. And there is a part of me that wants Adam to start just for the sake of the opening first four or five minutes of rebounding to prevent, you know, it seems like the past three games, the wolves have gone up nine zero. And a lot of that has just been offensive rebounds and putbacks and uh, kick out threes. So part of me is like, Hey, let's just start Adams for the first three minutes to secure some defensive rebounds and then try to play about even instead of being down nine Oh in the first 90 seconds. And then we'll immediately sub him out. That way we can kind of get into the game. Um, but I I think it's very evident that he can't play. I've already said D'Anthony Melton can't play. John Conchar, I don't know if he can play. But if he does, I'll be happy to try him out instead of D'Anthony Melton. Um, I'm tired of watching D'Anthony Melton shoot one for 17 from three or whatever he is right now. But could have a really good series against the Warriors next round. That's the thing. That's the weird thing about D'Anthony. Yeah. So I, I say that. So I hope DeAnthony proves me wrong, and finally the floodgates open for him, and he has the four for five from three because he's due. But I just don't think I can count on that right now in a three-game series. It's too crucial to hope that the ball starts falling for DeAnthony. So I wouldn't play him anymore. Um, Conchar, try. That's fine. Zaire has been underwhelming. He's a rookie. He's hit a couple corner threes, but he's too—he's just too jittery. That's the only thing, yeah. which I thought would be good for him to play in this series to get his feet wet before we need him against the Warriors, if we get there, of course, because we're definitely going to need him against the Warriors. But he's just too jumpy, and that's just a rookie thing, and I get it. But um, I definitely, you know, he should be kind of the role that he's in now, and if he's hitting three, if he's just hot then sure, you can keep playing him, but he's just too jittery on defense to keep going to. Um, who else? Who else are you Tyus interested Jones. by? Well, Tyus. I mean, Tyus has been... Tyus has obviously been like our rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're not too, too, like, without him. Um, so if Jaw doesn't have it early, I let's just pull him. Like, let's just give him more rest and longer kind of periods. So when he does come in for, you know, four minutes left in the first, three minutes left in the first, he can go all out in those couple minutes, right? Just a change of pace. Yeah. Uh, but Tyus has just been so in control. I trust him. Anytime we've played well in this series, he seems to be the guy on the floor. So i think he deserves an expanded minutes kind of thing here because he's been crucial for us yeah i I like tyus tyus in this series has been uh the ultimate competitor the uh the ultimate professional uh and so i i would rock with tyus uh probably being if you went to an eight-man rotation i would feel confident that it was, you know, the five starters uh, as it was last game. And then Brandon Clark, Kyle Anderson, and Tyus Jones. Uh, you can throw in Zaire if you want to. That, that doesn't matter. His 10 to 15 minutes, like I said, and I was right, 
He's not going to play many minutes. And I said he's going to play 10-ish minutes. Okay, so I'll take my uh, I'll take my win on that one because I was right, and he yeah. and he's fine for what he's in. He's giving you something opposite of what D'Anthony Melton. D'Anthony Melton he needs to be DNP'd. Like, don't go to those seven yes. or eight minutes. You don't need it. I, I just yes, wish I just wish I would understand that. Yeah, yeah, he's so. giving you absolutely nothing except turnovers and missed shots. Yeah, so. All right, all right. So this isn't a long podcast at all. We just want to spend too much time on it. Uh, but I want to ask you um, about Jaw as the last thing. So we pretty much opened with him, and we're going to close with him. Uh, I think he's going to be the focal point of the Grizzlies. He just is. Do you see a way that in any kind of adjustment that he could make? So mine was simply the the Chris Paul esque drive to the basket like if you can somehow get a uh, if you want to get a screen that's fine but grab but get the other guy on your back as you're going into the lane that way you actually are creating space you're causing confusion there's a lot of stuff that's happening instead of just trying to get the screen and then you're a dart straight to the basket just to just to throw up stuff you know I just I don't know if that's going to be good consistently plus he's falling every play and getting beat up he needs to plant and kind of go straight up uh that's something i talked about uh but i've also talked about if we know just and this and this is just me i'm not a smart guy okay if you know (laughs) that you're gonna get your best player double teamed when you come over to screen why are you not just sending either a Bane every time because at that point they can't double Ja and leave Bane open. Okay, that's just impossible. Two, don't go screen for him. Pass the ball or dribble drive. <laughs> you have one on one. I don't understand the reasoning. So that's me. That's where I stand. It, nothing has changed in the last two games. So I'm not going to keep harping on it. Is there anything you see that yeah. could be fixed with the uh, the double team? Because because Ja needs uh, he needs the book. He needs the cheat sheet. Yeah, I mean, this is part of the execution thing I said earlier, like the discipline. Because they, they're they always blitzing him on almost every screen if they're not switching guard to guard. If it's a guard to guard swing with jaw, or screen with jaw. Um, the issue to me is just positionally on the floor, there's always that wing opposite him free throw line or above extended so jaw's got a guy in his face guarding him he's got if he's on the right side he's got the guy in the right corner his guy's playing off the right corner looking at him and then on the opposite wing is uh obviously there's two guys in the middle getting ready for a jaw drive and then there's a guy on the opposite wing that's loading up to the middle at the free throw line like what is he supposed to create so there's been a few plays where Jaw has passed and then gone through the lane and then curled back off like a double down stagger and yeah. gone to the opposite empty side. And it's been wide open. And this mm-hmm. is my biggest pet peeve a lot with NBA coaches is they have to run something different, it seems like, every play. It seems like Taylor Jenkins has a different play call or he they have some set 
like motion offense where he doesn't call a play that they try to get into. But like the top coaches, when they see a play is working, they call it over and over and over. Like yeah. you hear it a lot of times from these ex NBA players talking about it. Like Charles Barkley has been on TNT saying it. They ran the same play one time, 25 straight times in a game and we're hitting every option out of it because the other team couldn't stop it. So if you have a play like that, which I think the Grizzlies have several plays like that, which are unstoppable and it's just come down to making the wide open shot. But why don't we just run that play a billion times? Like you, when I think about you remember, I know this is off track, but (laughs) that Clippers game, last year when it was luke Kennard was killing us yes and they were running he was just standing in the middle of the lane and there was two posts on the block setting those pin downs and he was just yep. picking a side he was running off of and hitting a wide open three or driving and kicking to the open person like they ran that play the entire fourth quarter and they scored on almost every single possession, got a good shot out of it, or got fouled, or as a canard three, or a floater. Like, why yeah. don't we do that? Why don't we continue to run the play that is working instead of having to go through our playbook to try to keep the wolves on their heels, quote-unquote? It's not working. And why are we shooting ourselves in the foot and making it more difficult? So we've got plays that are going to work, and they always work. But for some reason, we run them like three times a game. Let's yeah. just run them all the time until the Timberwolves can prove they can stop them. That's our best offense. So yeah. space for Ja. Quit putting Bain opposite of him so Patrick Beverly can close out quickly and easily to him. Like, put him in the corner so when Ja drives and Bain can't full help off of Desmond Bain, then Ja's got an actual chance to finish at the rim. Bain's always free throw line extended. Always. And the few times that he's in the corner, guess what happens? Wide open three. Every time. Or he's got a guy that he ball fakes and blows by him on the closeout, and he does a step back where he drives himself. It seems to always score. So why don't we just do this over and over and over? I don't get it. I love it. So another thought that just came to my head was, uh, why don't we run the offense through Bain a little bit more? Um, and I know that's um, that's just simple, right? It's just simple thinking of just switching maybe some roles of um, maybe we let him have the ball and then get the screen that allows him to come off the screen and maybe create a little bit more, but also it gets uh, jaw away from the ball. And if they want to try to pay attention to both people, then usually that's an issue, and that's a that's a recipe for disaster on a defense who's they're having to watch two people, two of the best players, and you can't really do that too well. So if they're going to watch yeah. Jaw that much, then go ahead and go through Bain. Yeah, I think the only reason they don't do that a whole lot is because Patrick Beverly has been the guy, has been the assignment, and he's already yeah. picked Bain's pocket a couple times doing that. So I don't think they've reliably trust Bain to like bring a ball up or initiate a lot of stuff. Um, Cause Pat Bev will pick him up, you know, 94 feet. The other well, one no. that like, obviously I'm uh, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I'm not even saying bring the ball up, whatever, whoever brings the ball up, we'd run a down screen, bring Bain back oh, to yeah. the ball 
At that point, it's just yeah. a one-on-one pass straight to Bain. And he if he has a shot, great. Like That's just a, a down screen, bring Bain back to the ball pick. At that point, you're not bringing a double team over to Ja because there's no way they're going to double team whoever you know is. Like All you are is doing a, a down screen to bring Bain back to the ball. They switch. Yeah. Bain still has the ball. At that point, it, like you said, that would actually take Pat Bev away from Bain, in all honesty, if that's how it was. If you're worried about him getting his uh, pocket pick, because then he has the ball, he can do the dribble drive, or he can just do something to maybe Ja then gets a down screen away from the ball and goes back door. I don't know. There's there's so many variations to change. I just think that they need to think outside the box. A few times. I'm not saying every time down the court. A few times just to give a different look. Yeah, I, I would say that I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I feel like it's been only a handful of times that Jaw has been involved off the ball where he's actually in some sort of action. But I would say that of the few times that he has, we have gotten a good shot or look every single time. I I cannot remember one single time. And look, I, I've watched a couple of the games already. I know, game three was the hardest rewatch of my life, even though I know it was going to happen in the end. But um, of the things that stick out to me is when Jaw is involved off ball coming off a pin down or it starts with a stagger on the strong side and he gets the ball empty side on the weak side, like it's always turned into a good attempt always. And, yeah. but most of the time when he's off ball, he's just standing He's just standing in the corner. He's not involved in anything. We run something for 10 seconds. That's the other problem. Our offense getting into offense is horrific. Um, And if we're not, we're not running something within the first eight seconds, our whole entire possession is toast. So, and that's proven anyways, from just like analytics. If the quicker you're getting into stuff, the quicker you're shooting. Usually typically the better your offense is. Um, which I know some people are counter to that and like, no, run the shot clock, you know, get the best shot, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Uh, Sorry. It's proven that the quicker and earlier in the shot clock you go, the more efficient your offense is. And we have just not been that this series. The other play that's been kind of, that has completely disappeared from our playbook is anything Jaron involved, which (laughs) he got one, he got one finally in game four. I think maybe they've run it three times it was pretty late he in the starts game, I think. block yeah he comes across the lane we throw it to him and he goes iso where has that been all series it gets him into the flow he's obviously got an advantage over jared vanderbilt um and i i think the only reason they're not doing it is because of their they're very afraid of him getting an offensive foul which is totally fair to yeah. be worried about if you're the coaching staff but I think I would gamble on the side of getting Jaron touches and involved and seeing the ball go through the rim to get his confidence up adverse to a stupid offensive foul here or there. Worried about him being in foul trouble because it's not like he's been on the floor anyways and has given us a whole lot of great stuff. So... I think I would side to actually getting him touches, and if he fouls, then fine. Um, adverse to let's not get him a potential another offensive foul because the guy's averaging like five points a series. 
Yeah. So what are you, are you really benefiting him by just having him roam around the corner and not giving him the ball at all? I think that's a huge mistake. So I don't know where that play's gone, but I would like to see more of that and yeah. get him some touches. Well, they haven't uh, been giving, giving him as many touches, and he's still fouling out. So why don't we just try something different, like exactly. maybe getting, getting the touches, and if he fouls out, he's still going to foul out anyway, right? So yeah, maybe it's not like it's affected something us. Happens. We're 2-2. Right. <laughs> like, it's not <laughs> exactly. like we're losing less. Like, <laughs> we're in an even series with him being garbage and not touching the ball. Maybe something good would happen if he touched the ball and got into a rhythm. Right. Just flip it on its head. Let's just change it all. Um, all right, so I'm excited about uh, Tuesday. Tuesday, 6.30 at the Grindhouse here in Memphis. I am not going to the game. Ryan, are you going? I will not be there, no. All right. Well, hopefully they can win without us because uh, that last time we were both there. We were both in attendance. Uh, we took the dub for sure. But, uh, but Ryan, do you have anything else before we get out of here? No, that's enough for me. I've been hot since that game, and I feel like I have a lot to get off my chest. So, uh, no, I'm good. That's That was good enough for me. I've been holding on to it for a week. Yep, so we will be back here again. It looks like uh, they play Tuesday and Thursday. Is that correct? Tuesday, Thursday, Thursday. No, they I, play Friday. Is there, Goodness. Yeah, I was about to say, it should be a day of rest in between each travel day now, if yep, I remember. So it yeah, so it'll be Tuesday, Friday, and that's it, right? Tuesday and Friday? Yeah. <laughs> it's We might as well just fly straight from, get a connecting flight from Minnesota to Golden State, to San Francisco. Exactly. I agree. And I can't wait for uh, Carl Anthony Towns and all those Minnesotians. I don't know. I don't know. Those, those timber pups. Uh, they'll all be They'll all be upset. <laughs> Uh, they'll be mad, and we're about to take the series in Minnesota. All right, that's all we have. I hope you've enjoyed it. We will be back here uh, to break all this down again, break down all of what happened on Game 5 on Wednesday. So make sure you tune in to that. Uh, be, well, actually, you know what? The game is on Friday, so it might be uh, Wednesday or Thursday, uh, depending on our schedules. Uh, we're going to see if we can get Ryan back here again. It's always a lot of fun. All right, that's all we have. Let's have a great week. It's Monday. Let's have fun. Hopefully, it's not raining. I hope. Yeah, I, I don't know. We're recording on Sunday. I bet it's raining. Uh, but if it's not, I bet it's beautiful. Be nice and tell your friends. Just got to go get it, man. <laughs> Just got to go get it. 